In last week's message from the story of Gideon, I focused on see it. See it. <clears throat> and if you weren't here, you need to get a copy of that as quickly as possible so you can catch up with us in this morning two-part series. Uh, and if you weren't here the week before that, Pastor Michael preached a great message on the life of Gideon as well. We've made some great applicable principles for us to learn from. But you want these messages. The story of Gideon, God has called him to put an end to Midianite oppression. However, the first, at first, Gideon hesitates. And he doesn't totally embrace what God has said to him when the angel of the Lord appears to him and he's hiding, trying to get some food ready for sustenance before Midianites come and steal it. And he's very intimidated and very fearful. And he's looking at this overwhelming force and doesn't understand how in the world am I a mighty man of valor to take all, all this mighty army. So God tells Gideon, go down to the enemy's camp and do a little reconnaissance. And while you're there, you will hear exactly what I've just told you, confirmed to you. So while listening, he hears an enemy combatant telling of a dream that he had. And the dream convinced Gideon that God is truly in this endeavor, that what God told him to do is going to get accomplished. So it says in Judges 7, let's stand for the reading of the word, verse 13 and 14. He said, I have had a dream. So this combatant says, I've had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. Wow. Please be seated. So there is what he hears. And all of a sudden, what he hears both from God and what he hears from this confirmation enables him now to see what God wants to do through his life. And it totally turns Gideon around. He worships the Lord. He has a moment where he stops and gives thanks to God, runs back to his own encampment, and begins to tell them what God wants to have done. And that's deliverance has come. So Gideon hears a confirmation of what God told him was going to happen. Sometimes the wrong crowd is worried. We worry when in reality it's the enemy who needs to be worried. And if you could hear what the enemy is saying about you instead of listening to what the enemy says about you, but you really hear what the enemy thinks about you, then says about you in reality, not when he's lying to you, telling you you're a loser and you're never going to succeed, but actually hear the fear in his heart that he has over you. Listen to me. And a church like Calvary Christian Center, it would shock you to know the realities of who you are in Christ because you are a formidable enemy to our adversary. And next we look at this amazing miracle of Gideon and his army. Verse number 16 of Judges 7. So Gideon divided the, the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet into every man's hand. You watch the detail in this verse. He divides the 300 men into three companies. He puts a trumpet in every man's hand and with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. It's interesting. Then verse 17, now watch. Because 
the pitchers covered up the light from the torches. These were not transparent pitchers. There was fire from the torches, and I was hidden, and the light could not escape. So they hid the light inside these pitchers. And then he said to them, look at me and do likewise watch. And when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you will also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch. And they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. In other words, the light of the torches now has come out. In the middle of the darkness, the light is exposed. They held the torches in their left hands, the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp. And the whole army, uh, the enemy army, ran and cried out and fled. When the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. And the army fled to Beth Acacia towards Zeruah, as far as the border of Abel Meholah by Tabith. They completely defeated the army of the Midianites. And so as we revisit this story of victory today, coming into part two, the word victory means overcoming of an enemy or an antagonist. And with 300 men, Gideon experienced one of the most astonishing victories in all of God's word. God has a way of taking those who are outnumbered. He has a way of taking those who are outmaneuvered, those with little or no resources, and working a miracle in the midst of the madness. I'm saying to you, God can work a miracle in the midst of your madness. Whether it's the dividing of the Red Sea for Moses the addition of 15 more years in the life of Hezekiah, the cleansing of the leprous general at the Jordan River, the creative miracle of new eyes using mud pies that Jesus did, the deliverance of the man of Gadara possessed with a legion of demons, and including, of course, the resurrection of Jesus the Christ himself. God has a way of demonstrating he is greater, stronger than any weapon formed against us. God knows how to bring a miracle out of the middle of your madness. And somebody here ought to thank God today for miracles in the middle of your madness. (laughs) Because that was madness that Israel was in during that time, as they are again today. How many of you will acknowledge that there have been times when you've been outnumbered, outmaneuvered, and outmanned? Hmm? But instead of being destroyed, God turned it somehow, some way, You came out of it victoriously, meaning you overcame an enemy or an antagonist. And God worked a miracle in the midst of your madness. That's called victory in the word of the Lord. Say victory. Judges 7 is a story of victory. 7 is the number of God, of perfection. But 6 is the number of man. And in chapter 6, there you have the story of man in one of his battles. Let me say to you, before you can have victory, there must be a battle. We can't shout about the victory if we're pouting about the battle. We can't shout about God's favoring us as we're climbing this great mountain if we're cursing what God has subtracted from us in the valley. 
You cannot obtain victory without a battle. So watch in Judges 6. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Listen carefully. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Well, you don't know where your journey is going to take you when you start doing what these folk did. And by the way, he'll treat you the same way. Who delivered them into the hand of the Midianites? The Lord Lord did. God allowed his people to be turned over to the enemy because they did evil in his sight. Now, that didn't come without prior warning. He had warned them and warned them and then warned them again. And God's got a long fuse, but boy, don't light it, (laughs) because it goes off. It does. Understand, there are negative side effects to stupid decisions, okay? And consequences don't mean you're unforgiven, okay? Forgiveness doesn't mean there won't be consequences for stupid decisions. We've been presented this false gospel when people are told, come to Jesus and everything is going to get fixed. There are consequences to bad choices. It doesn't mean if you're suffering consequences that you're not forgiven because sometimes you will have to pay a price for those failures. And the word says at the time of the harvest, when they had sown, after they had sown, then the enemy came to steal from them. When did the enemy come? At the time of the harvest. When they were ready to reap what they had sown, when they were ready to take in their harvest, the enemy comes and he sets up tents. And they said, we're going to stay a while. We're going to camp here during your harvest. And they came to destroy the land of Israel. And the devil will always attempt to destroy, discourage, and defeat you at the time of harvest. Judges 6 and 4. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. And here we are still back at the same place, repeating the same story. And back at Gaza, again we are. And if you're under an attack today, it's because it's the time of harvest. Because watch this. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. In the sea. Here's the prophetic for our day. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that his, he has a short time. There's little time left for him. He'll be no more. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Why? Because Satan knows his time is short. He knows when your harvest is coming, he can't prevent the harvest, but he wants to stop you from being there when the harvest comes. He wants you to give up before the harvest arrives. He wants you to throw in the towel, stop believing, stop praising, stop confessing the word of God. Just quit, just give up. He cannot stop the harvest from manifesting, but he can only stop you from being there when the harvest arrives because it is time for harvest. And the word says the Israelites were so intimidated the Midianites had come to overrun them and invade them that the Israelites hid in caves. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens and caves. And when you look up the name Midianites, they are descended in, in the chronology of life, in the lineage of life, from Abraham. And the name Midian in the Hebrew means strife. 
Israel was held hostage by strife, discord, fighting at harvest time. And I'm saying to you, if the enemy can't stop you from your harvest by intimidation, he will sow discord, fighting, strife, and arguing to disrupt you. And that's why you know it's harvest time, because there is strife occurring. Your children grow most rebellious right before the harvest. And when all hell breaks loose, I've learned to just stand still. See the salvation of the Lord because I can't do anything about it, but trust the Lord. And just when it looks like the enemy's going to win, I just have to calm myself in the presence of the Lord and say, stand still. And without fail, just before every major breakthrough we've ever had, all hell has broken loose. And I've learned to, to get encouraged when discouragement tries to set in, because all things are working together for good for those who love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. Say, it's harvest time. So the word says this in Judges 6, 6, the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Okay. And that's the key. Everything turns on that one statement. When they found themselves impoverished, when they found themselves in this dilemma, when everything had turned the wrong way, because they brought that on themselves, the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. There's power in crying out to the Lord. There's power in taking your frustration, your fear, your worry, your discouragement, and turning it into crying out before the Lord. I like to come over to church on Saturday when there's nobody here, when nothing's going on, and come before the Lord. And just talk to him quietly and let him talk to me and lift my hands and pray and cry out to the Lord. And people complicate this matter of prayer when all you need to do is turn and cry out unto the Lord. He will meet you when you do that. That's when he'll heal your disease. That's when he moves that mountain. That's when he saves your children. That's when he provides for every need. If you'll learn the power of crying out to the Lord, you humble yourself when you cry out to the Lord. Then he lifts you up. Sometimes it has to be more than a routine prayer. It turns to crying before the Lord. Tears begin to flow. Communion engages. Living waters flow. And you know him to say to you, I am still your God. And alone with him, he pours courage into your spirit. You face all that you have to face and overcome it in victory. Tell your neighbor, there's power in crying to the Lord. <clears throat> and tell your neighbor nearest you what you're burdened with right now and ask him or her to agree with you. Whisper to them, this is what I'm burdened with. Would you agree with me? Would you agree with me? Tell somebody that and say, I need your strength and your prayer. Would you agree with me? Stop wishing for it. Wishing isn't going to make it so. <clears throat> Stop worrying over it because your worry is not going to produce one thing. Stop hoping. I just hope it's going to happen someday. No, 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 no. Speak it and have somebody agree with you. This is the burden I have. And know that God can open the door and God will make the way. They cried unto the Lord. God awakened prayer among the people of Calvary Christian Center. Awakened prayer. In this next part of the story, I see salvation happening. Gideon 
He, he looks at his 300 men, and God told Gideon, you've only got 300 against an army with camels that are without number, <clears throat> like the sands of the seashore. And Gideon started with 33,000 troops. And God said, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. <laughs> wow. I see salvation in this. Watch how this works. The first step in salvation is repentance. Repentance is more than I got caught. Repentance is, I'm truly sorry for what I've done. I have sinned against the Lord, and I recognize I've sinned against the Lord, and I do not want to continue down that road. When you truly repent, you don't go back from where you came from. You don't go back to sin. You don't go back to drugs. It's not that you're never going to fail. That's not the case. You will. You will have some issues. But the want to in you has changed. The desire in you has changed. Because you've got a new nature. You may slip and fall, but you don't want to anymore. You hate that that's happened. Before salvation... Everything in you is bent in a different direction. You love to sin. You love to party. You love immorality. You love it. You keep embracing it. And no matter how many times you've tried to quit, you keep loving it. And you keep going back to it. You make a resolution. 30 days later, you're back at it again. But when you're born again, God gives you a new nature. And now you're bent in the other direction. It's not that you don't have any more temptations. You're still tempted. You will still be tempted if you're married. You will still be tempted to go out and try to get high. But you're able to resist because everything in that new nature wants to please the Lord. Everything in that nature loves the Lord. And even when you're being tempted, coming up out of you is this cry, I love you, Jesus, and I don't want to go there, and I don't like that, and I need your power to resist this right now. That's how you know whether you're born again or not. And if you want to go back to your sinful lifestyle, then you need to go all the way back to the cross and get good and saved. Probably need to hold you down a little longer in the water tank. (laughs) Something didn't take. Because when you're born again, you track in a new direction. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And the Holy Spirit is speaking that clearly. I know that right now. You can be free, you can be delivered, and never go back to that again. I will not return to that stench again. Does anyone believe God can deliver people? I know he can. I appreciate counseling. I appreciate 12 steps. But if you think a textbook is going to change your heart, sorry, you can go read every textbook You can go to every counseling session and still struggle. But when Jesus comes, the tempter's power is broken. When Jesus comes, demons say, hey, we got to let him go. The blood of Jesus has set him free. Your nature's been changed. That's why we ought to sing that from the depths of our soul. Oh, happy day. When Jesus washed all my sins away. Oh, happy day. So next, Gideon obeys God and brings the remaining men to the water. 
The previous 22,000 have all gone home. They decided, "Mm, we're not in for this. If you want to go back, hear me again, if you want to go back, you don't qualify for the Lord's army. Some need to make up your mind, you're going to serve the Lord. And now they come to the water's edge. And some don't understand how powerful water baptism is and why you need to be baptized in water. I want them to go into the water, God says. And if they don't get this water part right, you can tell them to go home too. But the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go with you. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go. Every man to his place. What a story. Amen. And the great commission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now look at this in Mark 16. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Makes no difference their culture, their skin tone, what their their economics look like. You preach this good news to every creature. He who believes then is what? will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. Now, I understand the word, and I understand the principles when you take not just one passage, but the the, the whole of the Scripture, knowing that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. We are not saved by works. I get that. I know that. Embrace that theologically. But I also believe after salvation comes... By grace, through faith, not of ourselves, but the gift of the Lord that's presented to us. Listen, obedience should immediately start following that. Obedience to the Great Commission and baptism is a part of this commission. It's not something you take or leave. It is important. You need to be baptized in water just as Jesus instructed. For your well-being, for the testimony that you're presenting and saying, my old life is dead, I have new life in Christ. If you haven't been baptized and you've let weeks and months go by, you better be here tonight. You need to get baptized. You need to do what Jesus said to do. Gideon is now down to 300, and God says, I want to be sure they have fire. They need to have a torch. And John the Baptist put it like this, see? I see repentance and salvation. I see water baptism in this. And I even see the power of the Holy Spirit in this. And John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water into repentance. But he was coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. They need to be filled with the Spirit of the Lord to do the works of God. Paul said, don't be drunk with wine. Because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 12. Since we're receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful 
and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. That's why he's called the Holy Spirit, because he comes to purify and cleanse and let us worship him with holy fear and awe, for our God is a devouring fire. This is not about how close to the world you can live and still hang out with Jesus. That's not New Testament Christianity. This is not about, I'm going to be saved, but then I'm going to go do the thing I want to do. That's a perverted gospel. Hear me clearly. That's a perverted gospel. Hear Jesus. He said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There's some sacrifice involved in this. Well, I want to do what I want to do. I want Jesus with me, but I don't want this cross stuff. See, I don't want to make this great sacrifice. Let Jesus take up the cross. I just want a good life. I want my life my way. Well, that's not what Jesus taught. That's not Jesus' expectation of you. See, there are 300 of them, and here's an analogy. You see them repenting. Then they're at the water, and now they've been given fire, power to do what they need to do. And torches inside the pitchers. Remember, going inside those kinds of pitchers, they were not transparent. You couldn't see the light out of them. And Gideon takes the 300 and divides them into three groups, and he instructs them to be quiet. And he has them put the lit torches into the pitchers, doesn't want the fire exposed before it's time, and they're divided into groups of 100, and they surround the entire camp of the enemy. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side in the whole camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Listen to me carefully. What scared the enemy to death, literally, I mean, in reality, they, not, they just weren't frightened inside. They died because of this kind of fear. When the 300 did all those things, it scared the enemy to death. Then the three companies blew the trumpets, broke the pitchers, they held the torches with their left hands, and the trumpets with their right hands for blowing, and they cried, The sword of the Lord! And Gideon! And the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. I mean, it was devastating. Two things terrified the enemy. And we frightened the enemy to death the same way. What shook them up was the noise and the fire. That's what shook up the enemy. Say the noise. Say the fire. Hell is not afraid of our program. But when we begin to worship with a joyful noise, and it's not just noise. If it's just noise with no anointing, see, the fire of the Holy Spirit brings anointing and makes what we offer to the Lord acceptable. And I'm just tired, flat out tired of watching ministry of music, in churches and on stages around our country turn into performances and absolutely have little or no anointing 
just look at how good I can play this instrument or look at how well I can sing or look at how good I perform. And I, I was thinking about that and this message popped up I received on the Internet in my email box. And this individual had written this statement. I want to read it to you. The only call on a Christian is not to pick up a microphone, not to pick some stairs up to some higher platform, but to pick up a cross and come die. That's the call. The only call on a Christian is to build every platform into the shape of an altar and to shape every platform into the form of sacrificial service. Every platform, every microphone, every podium is meant to be a nail fixing us to Christ, the only one lifted up and fixing something in the listener's life as kneeling down to serve. And I thought, wow, somebody understands that, that this thing is not about performance. Our services are not to entertain. We're not here to give you a show, okay? If it's just noise with no anointing, listen, the fire of the Holy Spirit anoints us, and we need more in our culture, in the Western church. Listen to me. We need more than beer-breath performers leading us in worship. We need some Holy Spirit-anointed worshipers who are full of the power of the Lord. And if we can make a joyful noise and expose the fire, you'll get hell's attention because we have heaven's attention. If you want hell's attention, get God's attention. Come, everybody, the psalmist said. Clap your hands. Shout to God with joyful praise. So Gideon saw it. He saw it in his mind after God had come to him and after he, he, listened, to, he listened to that enemy in the camp speak of his dream, Gideon saw it. And then said it. He went and worshiped and ran back to the camp and declared what God was going to do. And they lifted their voices to the Lord. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. But they had the fire, but it was covered up now. They had placed those torches in pitchers. And therefore, the breaking of the pitchers was vital to the complete victory. The broken pitchers allowed the fire to be exposed. And the Lord knows we need some broken pitchers. So the fire of the Lord is seen. What our generation needs is not a church hiding God's presence, but a church ready to release God's presence, his holy fire. We are not ashamed of God's presence. We need to break the pitchers and expose the fire and tell people there is a Christ who saves, a Christ who heals, a Christ who delivers, a Jesus who sets captives free, a Jesus who heals broken marriages. We are serious about our Jesus. This is not a part-time Sunday-only job. This is the air we breathe. This is our life. This is who we are. So stuff in our lives tries to smother the fire. And if you leave the fire covered long enough, it will smother the fire. So what we need to do is break the pitchers. And the key to this amazing miracle, through the life of this obedient son, Gideon, if you don't allow the fire of the Holy Spirit to burn brightly in your life, stuff will smother your fire. And whatever is killing and dampening your fire, keeping it from being seen, it will smother your faith, 
smother the fire and smother your future, and your fire will go out. Pictures of doubt need to be broken. Pictures of unbelief need to be broken. Pictures of addiction smothering the fire need to be broken. Pride and past failures break those pictures so the fire can emerge. As God had given commandment to his people early in their service to him in Exodus, and you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. 24-7, and he commanded, don't you let the fire and the light go out in my tabernacle. It stays lit 24-7. And Jesus said to them, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? That's how they lit everything in their day. They didn't have bulbs and PG&E bills and brownouts and all kinds of stuff. like They just lit the fire with the olive oil. And Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So the word says, when they blew the trumpets, broke the pitchers, exposed the fire, the miracle began to happen. So what we need is a renewal deep within our spirits, one that releases praise and the joy of the Lord and holy anointed worship and releases the fire and the presence and demonstration that he's here with us of the Holy Spirit. The noise and the fire are keys to victory over any enemy or antagonist. How many would love to break the pitcher and once again expose the light and the fire of the Lord? And I'm not just talking about making a loud racket in a church service. That's not, that's not the point. It's not about making a racket in church. Jesus said this, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. I need God's word. God tells me how he wants to manifest himself. God shows me there's order in the body of Christ and order in the service. And the truth liberates us to know what God's mind and will is. And then the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We need the word of the Lord. We need the presence and power of his anointing. It must be anointed, whether it's worship or teaching or preaching. Otherwise, it's noise. But when we have the holy noise, anointed sounds coming up out of us, that's why I say, say it in genuine praise. You, you, you praise God using his word. You praise God use, and worship God using, you say it in your worship. You say it in your praise. You don't just see it, but you say it. Okay, this is what you said, but I've got to get this somehow from what I've heard down into my heart. And so, like Gideon, it's confirmed by the presence of the Holy Spirit to me and made real to me and it becomes something I own, and now I see it. And the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to declare it. I'm going to say it in my worship. I don't just see it, I say it. And then you're able to see the victory because you've seized it, like Gideon did. Thus Midian was subdued before the children of Israel. 
so that they lifted their heads no more. And the country was quiet for 40 years in the days of Gideon. Got to love that stuff, right? Say, I'm about to break a pitcher that's been smothering my fire. Why don't you stand up and break your pitcher? And let the presence of the Lord flow through your life right now for a couple moments. Would you do that? Time for the breakthrough here. Time for the breakthrough in the body of Christ. It's time for sin and habits and attitudes of unforgiveness and hurts. Listen, those things are smothering the fire. Break the pitcher. Lift your voices. Give thanks to the Lord. Take a moment and love the Lord right here, right now. Love him. Love him. Make a holy noise to the Lord. Because it was the sword of the Lord. It was not the swords they carried. It was the sword of the Lord. There's little noise, little fire. And when there's little fire and little noise, there's zero victory. So whatever's happened, break out of it. No matter how discouraged you've been, let the Holy Spirit give you an infusion of joy. Turn mourning into laughter joyful noise expose the fire because people are attracted to joy and they're attracted to light and those services should be filled with joy joyful worship joyful praise the light of God's word thank you Lord how good you are let's worship him people for a few seconds thank God Thank God. Bless the Lord. Come on, have a praise break.